All right, hello and welcome to another episode of the Long Ball Football Podcast, a weekly podcast by two brothers about all things football in Portugal. You're listening to myself, Albert, and as always, I'm joined by my brother, Barney. How are you doing, Barney? How's things? Yes, all good, man. Um, we can get my house painted and we, me and my wife have decided on a yellow. So a lot of the, all the way up the stairs and on the landings, all, 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 it's all this yellow now. But what I have sort of realised in hindsight, and maybe this was coming into my mind subconsciously, Quite similar to Porto's, isn't their third kit or the you know the the yellow one? <laughs> right, the light, the kind of lemon yellow. So that's all I can think about now. Maybe you can get a mural done at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> what conscious house face at the top of the stairs? Yeah, <laughs> lovely, perfect. Get Otavio on there. <laughs> no, man, I, I'm I'm good. I think um, I really enjoyed last night. I don't know if we're going to talk about it now. Why not? Let's talk about it now because um, me and Barney did uh, a special event last night. You may have seen us banging on about it on Twitter. I hope it didn't get too spammy, but we just wanted to make sure everyone uh, knew it was happening. Me and Barney did the first official Monday Night Football live uh, Zoom conference, I suppose you could call it, a live event uh, held on Zoom by me and Barney uh, where we watched Victoria versus Family Cow, the Monday night game. Uh, along with you guys, the listeners, we had uh, a bunch of guests who came and joined us and got involved. We had a great chat throughout. Um, we had a load of good guests. We had Dan and Matt, the Victoria fans, who were great for us to chat to about the game. We had uh, good friends of the podcast, Jack, Harshif, Pete, Michael. Uh, loads of people came down in the end, so it was it was really good fun. Um, if you saw it, on I was talking about it on Twitter and you weren't quite sure what it was, it was honestly really simple. It was just a bunch of us watching the game at the same time and having a chat about everything that was happening in the game, everything that happened, you know, in the week and at the weekend. And uh, yeah, it was really chill. It was, and it was good fun in the end. We even got a bit deep about um, Portuguese football as a whole, as a concept. Really. We did. We had some good <laughs> chats, didn't never, we? Yeah. yeah, it was great. I think it's, it's not, I think the best thing was um, there was a moment where, was it Dan who said something about, um, someone was talking about a Porto player who got five other cards, wasn't he? And then he said, didn't he get it in one game? You know, the, and it was <laughs> no just that, yeah, exactly. That moment where like everyone was just on your, on your wavelength. Like you couldn't make those jokes with your other mates down the pub. Could you? Like, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah, it, it had quite a relaxed atmosphere. It was very much like being in the pub with your mates while the game's on the TV. So that's really what we were going for. Um, and if you saw what we were talking about and were, and were curious about it, uh, we're going to try and hopefully do another one before we break for the World Cup. It's not going to be a weekly thing. In the end, it'll probably end up being more kind of monthly. Um, but yeah, me and Barney might try and do another one uh, before we break for the World Cup. So if that sounds interesting to you, then definitely keep an eye on our Twitter because that's where we organised everything. Uh, and once again, just thanks to the guys who came down uh, yesterday because it was uh, it was good fun and they really made it worthwhile. So cheers to them. Well, Let's talk about this weekend's football and Barney. That's what we're here to do. Uh, some really big results this weekend for the big three clubs. Um, we're going to come on to Porto and Sporting in just a second. But I think let's start with Benfica because they remain top of the table with uh, after a 5-0 win over Chams. Now, was this Benfica's best performance in the league this season they scored five goals two of them were really great finishes uh they weren't troubled by Chavez in the whole of the 90 minutes they completely controlled the game controlled the game from start to finish and I just think it was uh almost perfect performance from from start to finish and and another very positive result for Benfica yeah no I thought thought it was um it was ridiculous and then it was interesting hearing uh from the podcast Pete on 
and the Monday Night Football was the Benfica fans sort of saying it's the best he's seen them play in years, like years and years wow. and years. It's the best, and that stuck. That struck with me because I think, you know, you. It was great they got the first two goals nice and early, yeah. And, and really, those are goals that Shabs couldn't do anything about. You know, no one's mm-hmm. saying that Neres shot the free kick was great. It was out of their hands. And once Shabs are in that position, you know, it, there's nothing you can do. Really, ben, Benfica would have been playing with no fear for the rest of those eighty minutes. And boy, did they play with no fear. I mean, Albert, I think it was the two goals that weren't scored for me. That was the best. There was the first one was the Goncalo Ramos. Missed header after the scoop pass from Neres, mm, yeah, and that build up one touch, one touch, one touch, one touch, and then there was the offside goal as well when um, Arnis was on the wing and just just offside, and once again the build up and that was one touch, one touch, little back heel, and it was just they were just playing with apps, they were just brimming with confidence, weren't they? And you know the confidence is such a huge thing for this Benfica squad, I think, and th- this their success in the Champions League has really helped them. Whereas I feel like with Sporting and Porto, you know, it's almost felt like a distraction at times because. Though they're performing fairly well in the Champions League, you know, when they, they can't perform, recreate it in the league. And I think what Schmidt's done is, you know, he's not messed about, has he? I think there are even some people who are starting to criticize the fact that he wasn't given players like Rest, like Enzo, for example. You know, he's basically paid every minute, but it's paid off because they look like a team because he's stuck with this, like, essentially this 11 and, and this core group of players. And I think that it's really, really worked. And I think it was a good move from Schmidt to do that. You know, they've got the World Cup coming up, that's going to happen. But the fact that he's just hit the ground running and kept that going is, is mm. obviously really helped them and the reason they're so high up the table and playing so well. It's funny because we, we hear a lot of managers around world football really talking about this season as it's going to be two seasons in one, right? One before the World Cup and one after. And it seems like Roger Smith has put everything into making sure Benfica finish top of the table for at the very least this part of the season. You know, He's really prioritised the league and he's he's committed to, you know, playing key players in key games, both in the Champions League and and in the league, you know, perhaps, and we'll come on to sporting soon, you know, other managers have been rotating teams when they play lesser teams in the league and, and not not done so well out of it. So I think he's taken it really seriously and, and I think they've been rewarded by the league position that they find themselves in. Like you, I thought that Neres goal, second minute, just set the tone for the game. And then the Grimaldo free kick not long afterwards was just... Two wonderful finishes. Uh, even Enzo Fernandez had an incredible goal ruled out uh, mm. by VAR, which is a real shame. Um, but it was, yeah, it just set the tone for a really phenomenal performance. Um, it was good to see Gonzalo Ramos uh, and even Peter Musa get on the score sheet. Uh, good for those two players. And it just feels like everything's coming together at the moment. You look at players like Algenes, who's come into the team more recently and solidified his place. Uh, Alexander Barr, who cemented his position at, at right back in the recent weeks. It seems like all the new signings are settling in. It seems like all the games are going well. And like I said, it just feels like for Benfica at the moment, everything is is really falling into place. Um, so I guess maybe the thing I look for us to do is to think about what could go wrong. And one question I had in mind, you know, with the with the World Cup coming up and a couple of players in this Benfica squad going there as well, is do you think there's a player or a couple of players who they can't lose, right? Who 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 might be indispensable. Who, if 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 the worst was to come worse and they get they're out for the rest of the season, haven't played like an injured World Cup. Do, do you think there's anyone in that Benfica squad who would have that big an effect, or do you think you know that they they've got the depth, they've got the the cover? Well, it's funny because the two players that I would think of 
regarding that would be Rafa Silva and David Nerez, but then that's two players who are not affected by the World Cup. Rafa Silva famously retired from national team football, and I don't I don't think David Nerez is in contention for the Brazil national team. So those would be the two players I was worried about because if they if they're lacking depth anywhere, it's in those attacking wing positions. Um, other than that, you know, I don't I don't feel like there's a position where they haven't got good cover. We've seen it defensive midfield they're playing at the moment. Alzheimer's and Enzo Fernandez, but we can see Florentino Luis coming in. At centre-back, they've got a wealth of options. So even if someone like Nicolas Otamendi picked up a big injury, I'd feel confident in uh, any of the replacements coming in that, I've got, that they've got awaiting. So the squad depth is, is really good, other than, like I said, those attacking winger, attacking midfield positions, which they're a little bit light on. But like I said, unfortunately, that, that those players are not really going to be affected by the World Cup. So... I would even, you know, I'd feel confident on Benfica coming out the other side of the World Cup in in pretty good shape. The only one for me, I think, is is Enzo Fernandez because you know Optionalisus on Twitter kindly did the league's um, top ten attacking sequence involvement data thing for us, and and, <laughs> and and surprise, surprise, Enzo was top. And then when you look at other stats for the league as well, he's top for long successful long balls, which. It's, for me, is a really telling start because the next 10 players are, are goalkeepers and a successful on ball for a goalkeeper is just someone hoofing it up and someone getting a touch, you know what I mean? But for Enzo Fernandez, it's getting the ball to feet from 50 yards. And I think, I don't know, it's it's hard. For, it's been hard for me to quantify and and work out how how key is in, in, in the build-up for Benfica's play because he, he's obviously contributing in passes. And that's the point I'm trying to make, I think, is that you take him out. Suddenly, do you lose that? Do you does the rhythm start wrong? Does the person, does the player in his place make the wrong pass, and, and do they create as many opportunities as they are? I'm, I'm sort of inclined to say they they probably would, you know. But I I think that would be the only one that I'd be interested to see, and 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 how perhaps he could, you know, if he did get injured, we'd suddenly realise, wow, this guy is absolutely key to what's going on there. But I don't know. I'm inclined to agree with that, but I think they, they have got a good enough depth. And I think, you know, that this is down to, to Schmidt as well, because, you know, I, I was sort of saying now that he hasn't differed from a, a sort of starting eleven, but really there has been the occasion. Ristic's got a game, um, Gilberto's got to come in, you know, like you said, Musa got in the game. But I think he is managing the squad well and I, and, and, it, and it's it's really working. Absolutely. Well, another great win for Benfica and they maintain their position at the top of the table. Well, it wasn't so good for Porto, who have been bouncing back from poor form in recent weeks. Uh, but it was a loss in the Clasico last weekend, and they followed that up with a very sloppy draw against Santa Clara, in which they dropped points and found themselves back down in third place. Now, two games ago, before the Clasico, Barney, we were talking about the fact that they had a chance to move into first place in the league. If they'd beaten Benfica, they would have gone top. And now we're talking about them back in third place. It's a real shame because they have been showing great signs of improving, but this is a really disappointing result and an example of the inconsistencies that they've had this season. For me, this result, arguably more damaging than than losing the Clasico in many ways. Yeah, no, no, definitely. Definitely because... I don't know. The thing that's really disappointing out is that, as we, as we recall, they've just beaten Atletico Madrid. Was it 2-1 or 2 Great performance. Yeah, exactly. And they can get themselves up for that. But that's, I just didn't think they were there for this one. You know, the fact that they got the early goal really should have helped them. You know, they should have been like... I I, I think I was trying to put it down to that because they have struggled at Santa Clara in the past, you know. And 
but that should have been enough of a warning. You know, they they should have known that this is a difficult place for them to come to, and, and they have to really as, as strong a lineup as it was. I, I think there wasn't enough creativity, right? And that, that's a fault we've discussed already this season with Porto. Except where are they going to find this creativity? Bruno Costa did all right coming into midfield, to be fair, to him, but I think I think the key area for me, Albert, is is this partnership of Evan Nielsen and Tremi, right? And, and this is the thing I wrote my notes before the Athletic Madrid game where they proved me a slightly wrong, but like yeah. At the point, I think in the league, it just seems a little stale, you know. And I, and I think I would rotate Evan Nielsen. I, I know Tony Martin is and, and the Masso got on in this game, but I think Taremi's contribution in, in goals and assists has, has been all right, right? But Evan Nielsen's mm-hmm. hasn't. And I think they need there needs to be a little bit more variety. And I, I think Evan Nielsen's the one I would I would have rotated in this game. I'd be inclined to agree. I think they're. They're two very similar players, aren't they? Neither of those are players that really want to drop off. Although we did see Taremi again in recent weeks playing that role, you know, playing the link-up role and providing for others. So maybe he's just got bored of it. I don't know. Maybe he doesn't want to do it anymore. He wants to get the goals himself. But, you know, either way, it, was, it wasn't it was really good enough from an attacking perspective. 15 shots in the game for Porto. They had an XG of two goals. So on the one hand, you can definitely say that obviously they didn't take their chances. But equally... Uh, the Santa Clara goal was a really poor one to concede from a Porto point of view. And and even seeing the game out 1-0 should have been a, a task that they, they were up for. Um, and it was David Carmo losing his man that allowed Boateng to head home in the 82nd minute for Santa Clara. It's quite interesting to me how Cardoso, the former Santa Clara man, of course, who got the goal in this game, has become Porto's key defender with Pepe injured. And David Carmo's poor form. He's definitely improved since he joined, but what a situation that is where Fabio Cardoso, who was really the fourth choice centre-back last season, is now the cent- the kind of most reliable centre-back that they can play at the moment. It's it's not a good position for them defensively. I was quite shocked by Carmo there. I, I, like, mm. it just didn't seem, it just seemed so amateurish. But I think, it's hard to it's hard it's hard for me to 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 put too much on it because I, I think that the reason they they drew this game is because you know that Porto should be able to beat Santa Clara by a, more goals right and I think it's hearing reading what Conchessa had to say after the game it, he didn't seem too enraged right he didn't seem too it, it was almost as if he was um, putting an arm around the shoulder of his players rather than going in hard but I think I think what perhaps should have been I, I just I the feeling I've got from Porto Alves I think but they're they're at their best when they're in a Champions League game. In a Clasico, when there's real, there's real, there's fire in it. There's, there's, there's like, and I think there's too many players. You know, I think Otavio. I, I don't know why he always comes to my mind now, but I, I, I think he he lacks creativity, but has the character that 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 Porto need, right? And I think that's and playing in that wide area as well. You know, when you when you you got the mid two midfielders, you have. We've seen Gabriel Veron get on in the cup, didn't he? And had an excellent game. But there's no way he's going to displace Otavio when actually, I don't know, a player like that would have been better suited. I, I think I've gone off quite a few tangents there, but I think because the, 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 the main point for me is that the lack of creativity and the, the you know, the, the sort of seem, seemingly lack of urgency in this team, in this performance, because we've just seen them smash it in the Champions League. <laughs> absolutely. No, and I think, I think you're absolutely right. I think the game is disappointing for two reasons. One, because as you say, Porto should be able to beat Santa Clara away from home by more than one goal. And two, because even if they're, it's just one of those games, as it was in this game, where they just can't get the ball in the back of the net, it's not quite happening, and they've only got one goal, then they should be able to see the game out for a 1-0 win, and, and they failed on both of those counts. So I think that's why it's such a disappointing 
um, result. But of course, for Santa Clara, Barney, this is a, a, a very valuable point, a bonus point that they probably didn't think they'd be getting. Of course, they rode their luck at times in this game, but I think it's a well-deserved point that they'll be delighted with. It moves them out of the relegation places for the first time in in a very long while. Um, it wasn't quite a smash and grab. I don't think that's fair because they did create some chances, although I don't, I don't really want to give a false impression of this game as, as something that Santa Clara really, really troubled Porto in at any length of time. But it was a set piece that they got their goal from. And we know that in these types of games, set pieces are a key area when the so-called underdog team can can punish a bigger team. And it's exactly what happened. Yeah, no, I, I do think, I think second half, they sort of, they were getting better chances, weren't they? Santa yeah. Clara, they had a few more options. Um, I thought, I, I wanted to credit um, Adriana, the 22-year-old Brazilian in midfield who played alongside Victor Bobson. I think uh, it's the first time I've sort of watched him play and he looked very good. But ultimately, I think, you know, you're uh, their defence is what earned them the points, right? I think Batista and goal was excellent. Um, and I was, I've, I've, been, I've been impressed with Pierre Sanger a little while now. He's been really good at right back for them and, and obviously Kennedy Bowe is then getting the goal, of course. I think he did really well up against Jeremy and Avanilson generally. So, um, yeah, a really good performance in Santa Clara and, and they need something like that, don't they? they? So hopefully they can push on. Absolutely. They needed something like that badly. So hopefully it will be, a, as you say, a springboard for better things in uh, in the coming weeks. Um, well, let's do the last of the big free bonding. Let's talk about sporting and and their troubles really continued with a, a, a surprise 1-0 loss away at Aruka. Now, all the talk before the game was about this being a heavily rotated sporting side. They brought in Nazinho, uh, Dario Sugo, Rochinha and Artur Gomez. They all made surprise starts that I don't think people saw coming. And Sporting really struggled in this game, like Porto, to create clear-cut chances, despite having a lot of the ball and having a lot of shots. They couldn't break down Aruka and, very similar to Porto, conceded a headed goal via a corner. A lot of the finger pointing was at Amarim after this game. And I do think we need to speak about him given the poor form that they've been on recently, given the lineup changes at perhaps a, a strange time. Do you think the criticism of him is justified after this game? Or do you think, think they still should have had enough quality on the pitch to win the game? Uh, I, I, it's a tough one. It is a tough one. I think I'm trying to really get my head around the whole discussion around Amarim and his security in, in the job at Sporting because and I think it's, it's. I think we do have to compare it to the likes of Benfica, and and also because he made a comment, hasn't he, about when asked about Schmidt and Benfica, he's what was it, he said the thing about he he doesn't have the same capacity. Is that the quote? Something like that, yeah. And with that, I think there's a lot of things in that. I think there's obviously the the difference in financial sort of things with the clubs and 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 obviously the the squads that both Benfica and Sporting have this season, you know, vastly different. Amarin's been, Sporting squad is nowhere near Benfica's realistically. But one thing I, I really feel is that I think Benfica's shown that you can you can play Saturday, for Wednesday, Saturday to Tuesday. You know, I think it is possible. And and the fact that Amarin felt the need to make these this many changes for, for, for a league game, which he's said several times is, is the main focus you know with, with such a poor start it just implies to me that I, even there's not that sort of trust in 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 his his first 11 to to be able to deliver or, and maybe that's rubbed off on some of the players right and he obviously brought Edwards Garte Poro on in this game you know Santos 
as well to try and change things and it didn't work out and I think the thing for me though I would sort of, the, the issues aren't with Amarin I think it's easy for us to but I think it's easy for us to say he, he shouldn't be leaving he deserves to stay but I also think there's a lot of sporting fans who have a better understanding of this club than us mm. and, and so mm. I'm, I'm not dismissing their opinions if they think he needs to go I'm just saying you know because I feel like they probably have a better understanding of the bigger picture but for me I, I would be sad to see him go I think it's, it's there's still questions about some of his decisions yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. It's very it's very difficult because on the one hand, there's no doubt in my mind that Ruben Amorim is a great coach and a great young coach and that Sporting's resurgence and success in, in recent years is in no small part down to him. But I think he's definitely made mistakes and, and he is part is partly culpable for the mess that Sporting find themselves in now. For one reason, you know, we talk about Amarin being a stubborn coach and not, you know, changing his system or trying new things. And then he comes into this game and changes five of the players. And it's just it's just not the right time. It's and, and not done in the right way. You know, it's like like you said, these players can play Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Sunday, Wednesday, whatever it is, if they need to. Okay. These are professional athletes and they'll be all right, you know. It's not March, it's not May, it's November. We've only been playing the season for a couple of months. So the players can do that. Anyone could have seen that. Look, they've been in patchy form. What they need is just a solid win to get them over the to get them over the line and to keep things looking, you know, keep things looking healthy. And he changes so many players. I mean, you look at the team that he picked, right? So look at the back three. Inacio Cruz and Reese, that's a decent defensive unit that you've got. Experience that you would expect to be able to cope with at Ruka. But then the midfield, Esguayo, Pedro Gonçalves, Esugo and Nazinho is extremely inexperienced. And I think with Pedro Gonçalves playing central midfield, I think everyone could agree that you're not getting the best out of this player when you play him in a midfield too. And the front three, Trincao, Rashini and Artur, I think you've got three talented players, but three players who don't know how to play with each other. Sorry to jump in, but particularly when you're playing in that sort of fluid front three, right? You need Absolutely. a lot of understanding. And the fluidity is is, is so important. I think you look at that team on paper, man for man, of course, they're better than Aruka, but they were completely disjointed in this game. And it was that fluidity that you mentioned that was lacking. There was no fluidity. There was no synchronicity between the players. Uh, and that's why they couldn't break down Aruka. And I think to bring this back to Amarim, I think it's almost maddening because you're calling for him to make changes and then he does it. And then you just think, no, yeah. not like that. <laughs> You know, it just, it just, it's something's not right at the moment. And I, I agree. He's had his best players sold from underneath him, and that's a tough situation to deal with. And I agree, he's not got the squad depth that uh, Ben Freak have got, and and maybe even Porto have got. He's not got that squad depth. He's still got new players. He's got young players, and perhaps this is a transitional season. But I think game management has to be better from Amarim, whether it's picking the eleven before the game or making substitutions during the game, which haven't really come off. Um, so I think uh, some blame does need to be laid at his door. The last thing I'll say though is that I still think he's a great manager. He's got a lot to learn, and I think he will go on to big, big things in the future. But he's going for a tricky patch with, with Sporting at the moment, and I don't think he's he's dealing with it that well at the moment. I, I think the, the the main thing we're sort of glossing over now, though, is the fact that Ruka did defend really, really well. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and absolutely. Uh, the, the goalkeeper, Arab Badarara, who I remember watching um, a few weeks back against Farah Kao, I think he was absolutely dreadful. He made that <laughs> like he made that. I think he did a big mistake for the first goal. And anyway, right. but he was unreal in this game, right? He was he, fantastic. He was brilliant. Bassa and Apoku. It was great hearing the English commentary on BT Sport. And, and, and obviously, they had a, a little interest in Apoku. But the, he did do so so well, and they did. They they just nullified so many dangerous opportunities. Also played out from the back really well. Some great passing from Apoku. So you know, and that will be frustrating for Sporting. And that, that that's what happened. You know, because you know they they were trying, but there were some great saves from from Aruka. Absolutely, and I think when you look at Aruka in contrast to Sporting, who looked like a group of talented players who didn't know how to play with each other as a team, Aruka were the opposite. Of that, they, you know, they might not be as talented as the sporting players, but they played as a real unit, and they looked like a team who 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 knew how to play with each other. Um, like I think, yeah, they looked really solid. They didn't look to overexude themselves. You know, they didn't stretch the game any more than they needed to. But there were good chances on the counter attack, and I thought that was throughout the game. You know, that wasn't in moments. They they did always look dangerous on the counter attack. Like you, man, the defensive solidity was excellent. That that partnership of of Basso and Apoku, you know, that mixture of experience and and youth, it's developing really well, and I'm really pleased to see those two players playing well together. It's the whole back line. I thought uh, his guy, to, you know, Ricardo, his guy's brother, it's, it's been fantastic since he's been there, arrived there in the summer. Charisma left back as well is decent. I think it's a really strong defensive unit. The one thing I will say is that I wasn't surprised that it was the experienced Basso who got the goal from the corner up against a youngster in Esugo who was meant to be man-marking him. And, and you know, Basso uses his experience and nows to get a run on his on his marker and and, and beat... Because I think Esugo's taller than him, but, you know, beat his man, gets a run on him and, 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 and heads the ball home. Um, it was a tricky time to score as well because they scored early in the, in the second half. So they still had a whole half to hold on. Uh, and they did so admirably. So absolutely, I, I agree with you that it was a, a very impressive uh, result for Aruka and thoroughly well-deserved. And again, another team for me that's having a slightly under-the-radar season as, as a team who've who've done very well, especially compared to last season. Let's quickly talk about Braga, Barney, before we move on. Um, they got an important win against New Vicente. That was 1-0 away from home. Not the most comfortable scoreline, but one that got them a very valuable three points. I lost count of how many shots they had in the first half. I thought they could have scored three or four goals in the first half alone, but they looked perhaps a little bit disjointed up front. Um, I thought just, I don't know what it was, but in this game, I just felt like Vitinha wasn't linking up with his teammates all that well. I think it was Ricardo Horta looked a bit frustrated at times. Sometimes Abel Ruiz, who again, Abel Ruiz doing a very underrated job up front, you know, not the glamorous stuff, but he seems to be the hardworking striker who's uh, creating opportunities for his teammates. In the end, the goal came from Luri Medeiros, who, to put it kindly, has, has been in mixed form in this season, I think. So it wasn't the perfect game by any means, but it, it was an important three points nonetheless, no least because it puts them back up to second place with with, with Porto dropping points. They're now back in second. So a, a very valuable point for the three points for them in the end. That's obviously the start of the season. They were they were rampant. They were, they were free scoring, weren't they? But I think in, in recent weeks, you know, both in the league and Europa League, it, hasn't been as fruitful in front of goal. And so they've having to manage games a bit better. But, you know, we've just been talking about a, a sporting and a Porto who, you know, aren't delivering the league. This is this is what they, they probably have been doing it. And I think it's interesting you talk about um, Yuri Medeiros there, because a player for me who we haven't 
seen at all really is that Diego is it Diego Lenas, the Mexican who on the Real Someone I saw coming in the summer and thinking was going to offer real depth and and probably fight for a starting spot on that right right hand side. But yeah. The fact that he hasn't been able to work his way into eleven despite Yuri Medeiros's sort of up and down form. Yeah. It, is a shame and you know one of the reasons why they might have been struggling in recent weeks perhaps is you know they haven't got the 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 depth they probably hoped for or even Jallo to come in you know he's a winger that we saw make a real impact uh mm. early parts of the season off the bench so yeah I was a little bit surprised by that but I'm never gonna criticize him too much because I do love Lurie and he got <laughs> a good goal he's a good finish so I'm, I'm pleased for him to get on the score sheet for you, Bolly, how worrying is the dual percent form? Because it's looking very bad at the moment. Obviously, 16th place. They're in the relegation zone now. Obviously, that's the playoff spot. But Santa Clara just got above them in the table. It's four losses in the league in a row. Still, their only win of the season came against Maritimo. Evo Vieira is now coming under a lot of pressure. I think a lot of the fans are starting to um, lose patience with Evo. I think you have to say it's justified at this point. You know, we've, we've talked about Ivo Vieira before when he's come into clubs and had a good impact at the beginning and then maybe tailed off. It seems like actually 0%, they're not even getting that initial bounce and, and it hasn't been very inspiring, to be honest. And, you know, we spoke a lot about percent before the season in our pre-season show, analysing the squad and the players they've got this season compared to last season. Our big thing was that this could be the team that breaks the mould of succeeding and sneaking into Europe one season and then finding themselves in a relegation battle the next season. But it's 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 not the case and, and they're, they're fulfilling that uh, stereotype all too well at the moment and worrying times. It's, it's really worrying. And I think, you know, if, if they didn't have um, Fran Navarro, they would be in even more trouble because he's essentially the only one scoring for them as well. I think they'll have to change manager out, but I can't really see. Because, you know, like you were sort of just alluding to there, I feel like there is there are decent enough players in that team to be doing better than they are, but it's there's something that's not working out at all, really. I don't think they know what they're doing defensively. That, that's my thing. I don't, I don't think there's... I, I think I've made that criticism about Ivo Vieira for all. I think, you know, his ideas for getting forward are, are quite good, but I think as a, in defensive situations, they're, they're lacking quite a lot. So, yeah, I... I I'm very worried for them. Absolutely. Well, let's hope they can turn it around soon because as you've said, definitely a club that we've got a little soft spot for. Well, we're going to do two more games before we end the show this week. And I quickly want to touch on Barney. uh, Friday night's game, a game that I was bigging up all week as the bottom two sides, Passos de Ferreira and Maritimo faced off in a must-win game for both sides. In the end, it was Maritimo who got a vital three points away from home, their first win of the season. And while this wasn't a classic by any means, uh, it was a comedy of errors at the time, if I'm being honest with some of the <laughs> some of the quality on show. But Maritimo put on a very spirited performance in the first half, playing like they knew that this was a massive must-win game and they were rewarded with a goal that got them all three points. Passos, on the other hand, looked absolutely dreadful. They offered nothing in response to Maritimo in the first half. And even in the second half, when Maritimo sat back uh, and were happy to protect their lead, they couldn't, Passos couldn't break down the joint worst side in the league and, and never put Maritimo in any real trouble. The players and the manager looked distraught at the final whistle, as they should have been. Because even more worrying than the result for me, Barney, for Passos, it was the manner in which they lost, which was just absolutely abject. 
it's proper dire, <laughs> it's dire it stuff. Is, I think. It is, it is. And I think I was when I saw the lineups, I, I thought you know Jose Mata was. Uh, I think bring bring Fonseca back to the side. I play a right back who. I remember when I we first started doing this podcast, I remember watching him and thinking he's all right, he's he's fine. I yeah. Think he even did okay against Spurs and um, back back then as well. And and, and you know the, these little changes, I thought there was going to we're going to see something a little bit different, but we didn't. It was just the same play, the sort of the same passer side, just lacking so much. Um, perhaps this was always going to happen because Maurizio have made their change in manager a few weeks before, and and we sort of. I'd obviously have more time, and they knew what they really need to do. Whereas passes, you know, that it's it's. I feel it could they could just be just starting to to get things together. I don't know. I thought you know credit to Marito. I think you know they they did deserve this win. Jalas, I feel is really starting to get into gear. I, yeah, I think he's going to be a real big player from moving forward. Um, I think it was great to see um, Jesus Ramirez get the goal. A, a young um, Venezuelan striker. Who's um who moved in the summer from a Mexican club? He's played most of his football in Chile, so he's an interesting little striker to keep an eye on because they, you know, Joel Tego has been pretty poor for them up front. So, you know, and and they've got um who's the is it Moreno, some guy from a Spanish striker on from Man City. I think when he had his opportunities, or well, he hadn't taken it, so perhaps Jesus Moreno could be someone to keep an eye on and, and could. Could cement this place in that starting eleven and get some goals from Marito because that that's ultimately what they they really need. I guess the thing of passes out is where where do you see the goals coming from? Because absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. I, I just I, there's no one in that squad really who I, I feel's got got it. Gone are the days of Douglas Tank when you felt you know he was a player that could put the ball in the back net. No, it's genuinely really worrying times for Passos. But full credit to Mauricio. Like I said, <laughs> you know the quality is not always there. Let's be honest. There's a there's a video going around on Twitter of of poor Andre Bidigal who works so hard to get himself into a crossing position on the left wing, and then manages to put the ball pretty much closer to the corner flag than than where the, where he's meant to be putting the ball. But that kind of summed up the game at times. But the key thing in the first half was that Marita were playing with passion, and clearly the players understood the importance of the game and understood how important their position in the table was and how important it was to try and get out of that. So that was what encouraged me and, and what I felt so despondent after the game for Passos because they just couldn't match that. And I felt, you know, if it, it's only the 1st of November. They played 10 games. I know it's a bad position, but at the end of the day, there were eight points off safety after only playing 10 games. So nothing has, nothing has been decided. You know, everything can change. They only need a couple of wins to get back in it. And and they could have turned their season around, but they just seemed so defeated already. The players had no ideas. They they just looked, like I said, defeated from from minute one, and and that was what worried me uh, so much. So again, we'll have to keep an eye on Passos and how they do. But unless there's a really dramatic change in mindset and a big response from this game, I suppose that's the only way you can look at this. Look at this is that at least now maybe the manager can get them on the training ground and and just tell them how important it is that they respond to this fixture because they're at rock bottom and quite literally it can't get any worse than this for for Passos. Oh, we've been talking a lot about, you know, around the big three about, you know, the the, the effect the World Cup's going to have on their, their squads and that. But, but we got to remember that this break could be could be good for the clubs, that, you know, who have been struggling so far this season. You know, perhaps Passos just need a, a, a couple of months Hey, Josie Morton will have them working, won't they? They won't, won't let them <laughs> put their feet up watching the World Cup. We have them in the training ground, so we'll see. But yeah, that could that, that could be important for a team like Passos. 
Absolutely. Well, let's do one last game, Barney, and let's do Vittoria versus Family Cow. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, this was a game that we were looking forward to because of our Monday night football live event. And we were treated to a five-goal thriller as Vittoria ran out 3-2 winners over Family Cow. But it was a very funny game in the end because Vittoria dominated, you could say, the first two-thirds of the match. They went 3-0 ahead before letting in two goals in the second half to make things a little bit more interesting for the neutral. I want to start with Vittoria Barney. Uh, and I was very impressed with the way that they played. Very effective attacking football, I thought. And no less so than from key man Mikey Johnston, the Scotsman on loan from Celtic, who got himself a golden assist as he continues to make himself a key player in this Vittoria eleven, And he's, he's looking really good. I was so excited to talk to to watch him play and he, he didn't disappoint. He's so positive, isn't he? So quick with his feet. I mean, his first the first goal was a hell of a finish, but it was that little bit of footwork just to get that space, to get that angle to to pull the shot off, which I, I was really impressed with. And he was the one, you know, who was because Victoria's chances were well, they were looking at their best when they were on the break, wasn't they? Weren't they? And so it was, it was him. It was when he was that that man taking a ball and driving or take, playing that pass. I mean, to be he played quite a, a couple of wayward passes in the first half, but his assist for uh, the loser's second goal was just absolutely pinpoint across the box, like perfectly weighted. It was it was, it was so so good, and you know I mentioned the loser there. That they, those two were really frightening at times, getting forward so quick. So yeah, I was really impressed with him. It was really good as well to see attacking options for Family Cow because. One thing that we spoke about earlier on in the season was we were worried about their squad depth, right? And I think it's really good to see them using more of that squad now, especially in this game. You know, we saw Mikey Johnston keeping Jota and Lamirez on the bench. Um, we saw youngsters like Bamba, Amaro, Daniel Silva playing key, starting to play key roles in this team. So I think that's a really encouraging sign for Victoria because they won this game with a, a quite a different looking team than the one that started the season. And when they started the season, we were saying exactly that. You know, we didn't know who the rotation players were going to be and, and and what impact they were going to make. So that's a very encouraging sign for uh, for Victoria. And and I think they they played the game really well. Obviously, went into halftime 1-0 up, as they deserved to. And they did really well to get that second goal at such a key time in the second half. It was about 10 minutes into the second half when Family Cow had been pushing for an equaliser. They get the second goal and then they get the third shortly after to kill the game. So they had that cushion. And obviously, they let the two goals in late on. And credit to Family Cow for that. But um, I thought they looked the better team on the night and they got the win that they deserved. Yeah, it was, it was the way they played, you know, with, with Z Carlos on the right and then Freitas on the left. But Z Carlos in particular was basically playing like a right winger rather than a right wing mm. back. He was he was so far at the pitch, always an option at to to play that ball long and wide. And uh, and he got two assists for it as well. I liked his uh, passion as well. He got in, he got in the faces of a couple of the family cow players as well. I think instigated that sort of brawl at the, the end of the game <laughs> potentially. Um, but no, I think also about the family cow. I think we do have you know you mentioned two goals there. I think that's actually it. In hindsight, is it was a, is a really key decision from Joao Pedro Souza. You know, he, he put he brought in Ivan Jamie back from injury, his first start since February. Played him as a sort of false nine in the middle between Cadile and uh, Puma, and you know it was Alex Milan, the the out and out number nine coming on, and Ivan Rodriguez, you know, one of the family girls' key players, not getting a start coming on, and. and 
it was the, the two assists from Ivory Rodriguez, two goals from Milan that sort of almost got Family Cow point in this game. And I, you know, like I was saying, I think in hindsight, you know, that was the wrong decision for Jao Petrosu because I think when Milan was on attacking that back, you know, those two, Idrissa Bamba and Amaro, as good as they've been, they're still youngsters, you know, they're still the potential faults, you know, you can get at them. And with Ivory Rodriguez as well, it's just adding that as well. I think that that would have probably helped fed them better if they if they both those players had started for Family Cow. Yeah, I think from Family from Family Cow's perspective, I think Jopo Jesus have probably learned a lot about his team in that game, about what players will deliver for him. Because like you, I thought um when Ivo Rodriguez came on, he was the best player for Family Cow, one of the best players on the pitch. So um I think we'll see him get more minutes and and Alex Miller did very well to get his two goals. Obviously, Jopo Jesus has not been back there very long. Uh, he's had a couple of good results. He had that big win against Boa Vista. Uh, and I think they, they played well at times in this game. I think they had a good spell at the beginning of the first second half and a good spell, obviously, in the last 20 minutes of the game. So they had their moments. Um, but I think Jean petrosu has got a little bit of work to do uh, with that team if he's going to get them playing how they did in those good spells over a full 90 minutes. But encouraging signs because I think if they if they can... And he gets the right players on the pitch and he gets them playing the way he wants them to play. I think they've shown that they've got good quality in this team and and, and they can look forward to good results uh, throughout the rest of the season, I think. Well, before we finish then, Barney, let's quickly round up the other results from the weekend, which all took place on Sunday as Boa Vista and Vizela played out quite an entertaining 2-2 draw. Portimonense and Estoril were also drew 1-1, but I think the other big result this weekend was Kazapia getting a 1-0 win over Rio Ave, of course, notable because that means Casapia now sit in fourth place in the league above Sporting and above Vittoria. So their fairy tale season uh, continues. That just leaves us time then, Barney, to do what we always like to do at the end of the show, which is to recommend some games of football that we think our listeners will enjoy watching this weekend. And we were discussing this on our Monday Night Football event, Barney. There's some really interesting fixtures uh, coming up this weekend. No least Sporting versus Victoria on Saturday night at 8.30, which I think will be a bit of a treat. Sporting in pretty poor form and Victoria coming off the back of a good win will be full of confidence. So uh, definitely one to keep an eye out. But I think my pick of the weekend, if you want something a little bit more niche, uh, would be to go for Braga versus Casapia. That's at six o'clock on Sunday. Braga having a great season and Casapia obviously having a wonderful season. So two teams playing great football. I think that could be a, a really interesting one to watch. Yeah, I do like that one. I also, uh, actually, no, I'm not going to, I was about to recommend your visit to Port because I feel like that could be an opportunity for your visit to bounce back, but then I haven't watched, enjoyed watching your visit at all. So, so, so maybe not. <laughs> Maybe that's one to avoid. Well, look, that brings us to the end of this week's show. If you enjoyed listening, you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or a star rating on Spotify. If you want to get in contact with us, you can find us on Twitter at LongballFootball and we're always happy to get involved in any conversations you guys want to have. But that just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening and we'll see you again next week. Yeah, see you next week.